Now dig this, Matt. Y'all know I love stationery. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, And I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever, actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple pencil with it, I have been doing that on there and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called NanoDots. With those NanoDots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook... Here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper like, and I'm sure it's it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use, and paper like feels good on the iPad. Uh they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, (laughs) that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a paper-like on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better... This is how you do it. So, to pick up your Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, to get started. We have a list on our website, warrockandajax.com, called Every Story Ever. What we're doing is we're taking lists from our listeners of three comic book stories, and then we are placing those stories on the list from best to worst comic book stories of all time. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the War Rocket Ajax Every Story Ever special for April 2023. 
as you know, this is the show where we rank comic book stories. They might not know. They might not know. Well, I said it in the over the music from the past. Just just well, now. But maybe they missed it. Maybe they were too busy. I don't what is the I don't know what the intro to the song sounds like or to the show. So maybe they were too busy grooving. Perhaps. Or or maybe they skipped over it. Don't skip the intro, folks. You can't skip the intro. Uh, Hearing a lot of talk about people skipping things on our shows lately. <laughs> My name is Matt Wilson. Chris Sims is that other voice you just heard. That's me. Uh, and yes, we're going to rank some comic book stories on uh, the show. Once again, we do it every month. And Chris, do you want to perhaps review the status of the list before we get into the rankings? I suppose we should, Matt. It is an unwieldy monstrosity. It, it that has devoured our lives. Becomes more... It grows more tentacles every single month. Now, I need I need to take a moment to unpack that metaphor. <laughs> is that just because it's a monstrosity, or is yeah. it like, okay? It, it has nothing... It, it, I was thinking of that Classic depiction of the tentacled monster over the earth. Right, from La Blue Girl. <laughs> what is the That's status? A joke for people who went to Blockbuster Video back in the day. What is the status of the list currently, Chris? Currently, we have 1,445 comics on the list, Matt, of various uh, shapes and sizes, honestly, uh, from... From single-issue American superhero stories mm. to newspaper strips, which we should never have opened the door to. We really shouldn't have. It was it was a mistake, yeah. It, it was, was a mistake, mistake. and I, I kind of want to put a ban on people sending those in for a while. For a while. Uh, but uh, we've got those. We've got uh, volumes of uh, manga. We've got uh, manga series, even. We've got uh, oversized graphic novels, ev- everything. Uh, we have an 80-issue series of superhero comics. We have nonfiction graphic novels. Every kind of comic you can imagine is on this list, as long as it tells a story, which we have de- defined as a depiction of sequ- Sequential events. A thing has to happen. Uh, I don't know how this happened, Chris, while we're talking about it. I'm just going to go ahead and air out the laundry right here uh, at the top of the show. Okay. We apparently have a story repeated on the list, and there is a great distance between its two rankings. Interesting. What is the story? The story is Night of the Stalker from Detective Comics number 439. Okay. It is ranked at number 257. <laughs> I mean, that's that's pretty high. And at number 1,075. I don't know how that happened. Okay. I, I believe the higher ranking is the newer ranking. Because I remember talking about the story recently. That's That's a new one on me, buddy. So, I am what simply going. Were we in? I don't know. I am simply going to delete the lower ranking. Okay, I do. I can tell you that 
we did in fact rank Night of the Stalker from Detective Comics uh, 439 in January of this year. Yes. And the the previous version was ranked at some point before I was keeping track of when things were entered. Which means it's pre-2020. So that's its pre-COVID ranking. Yeah, we must have been in a mood when we ranked it the first time. Must have been. So, I'm deleting that earlier ranking. The newer ranking will stand. That is that is what we're going to do. So Interesting. It is no longer repeated on the list. And the list is now 1,444 comic stories. Here's my uh, interesting question for you, Matt, based on how long that we, we've been doing this and the experiences that we have yes. with this comic. Um, what racist thing did we forget about? I don't think we forgot about anything. Because I looked at that story rather closely. Yeah, I remember like we like we went through it yeah. and it it fucking owns. Yeah. I, I, I think we just like must have shrugged it off the first time or said like yeah, it's fine or whatever it is that we say. And yeah. uh, and we were wrong the first time, but we self-corrected because the list is self-correcting and all is well. Thank you to Nathan Goldwag for letting us know about that repeated ranking yeah batman chases down a bunch of dudes in the woods and just they get fucking wrecked they do which is pretty dope so for those of you who might be new the list does exist in its complete form in that it does in fact have every comic that has ever and will ever be printed on it uh and we merely chip away at the marble uh, these are not these are not opinions. These are are facts. Correct. These are in fact already ranked, and we're mil- merely finding them in yes. the ether. With that in mind, Chris, are you ready to start ranking? I'm ready for some ether. Let's dive into the ether with this list. that sweet sweet ether. <laughs> This list is from uh, Brendan Roach, who has three Ra's al Ghul stories that uh, he does not believe to be on the list. Talk about Racer Cool? Raish al Ghul. As That's one of. I, I say this as a fan of Matt Wagner, mm-hmm. a noted fan of Matt Wagner, a big fan of Matt Wagner. Uh, I don't love. Uh, Trinity, the the book that he did um, with Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, uh, but it does have Bizarro teaming up with uh, Ra's al Ghul and calling him Racer Cool. <laughs> Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, the first story that is here on Brendan's list is Batman: Birth of the Demon graphic novel. Boy. That's by Boy. that's by Denny O'Neill and Norm Braefoot. Uh, yeah, 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 bud. Uh, from 1992. Oh, I know when it's from, buddy. I'm simply letting the listeners know. 
Birth of the Demon is not the best book that has the word, like, starts with the word Batman and ends with Of the Demon. Mm-hmm. But it is probably the second best one. Okay. Uh, this this one, it's like, it's talking about comics of, of different shapes and sizes. This thing is like oversized hardcover, and it's also oversized in both dimensions. It's a real fuck your bookshelves book. <laughs> uh, but this is the, like, this is Denny O'Neill going in and doing uh, a an origin story, like kind of a definitive origin story for Russell Ghoul, like going back to uh, like like establishing how old he is and everything uh, which uh, is interesting because up to this point like we didn't really know how old Ross was supposed to be but it, he's you know he's not Vandal Savage but he's but he's old you know he's immortal he is reborn yeah. over yeah. and over uh, so you find out that he's like from like 600 years ago so still pretty you know, still still pretty intense. Uh, but yeah, we get some pretty good Norm Brayfogle stuff in here. Is like it Norm Brayfogle? God damn, man! Is it painted? Yeah, yeah. So, some parts of it are like the uh, the the flashback parts to Roz's origin. If they're not painted, they definitely look painted. Well, uh, Norm Brayfogle is the only credited artist. Yeah. On the book. So, yeah. Whatever the I, method, I, he did it all. Yeah, I would absolutely guess that it is it is fully painted. Um, I think some of the present day story stuff has a little bit more of a like traditional pencil ink colored look, but I'm, I think it's fully painted. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I mean it. it, it could be some other technique that's not just painting, but it, it parts of it absolutely do have that that look to it. it you're right; it, it shifts back and forth in places, but uh, yeah, it's it's I'll beautiful what, either way. You want to see Batman and Ra's al Ghul take their shirts off <laughs> and just fucking throw down, which is the only thing I ever want to see in comics. <laughs> the, first of all. First of all, this shirtless fuck it's not even a sword fight. It's a fucking brawl. Yes. It goes for like 10 pages and involves Batman getting stabbed in the heart with a fucking shovel. It also has one of my favorite things in Batman stories, which is a person hallucinating that Batman is a bat. Yeah, boy. Yeah. Uh, it also has this really, really cool thing where even when he takes his costume off, Brayfogle draws Batman like Bruce Wayne's face. He draws him backlit, so his face is still in darkness. Uh, which there's really only two artists I've ever seen really commit to that, and it's it's Brayfogle and Steve Ditko. Yeah, but yeah, man, like they throw the fuck down in this. So you said. This is the second best book with of the demon mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. I let's see what I think we. I don't think we have 
any of those stories on here. We have yeah, other Rosa We do story. not have the uh, the number one. Yeah. I'm curious to know if it's on this list this year of, of comics that we're ranking right now. It is very possible that it is. Excuse me, this list of comics whose rankings we are uncovering from the ether. That's right. Uh, so, with that in mind, I think we just got to find a find a place for this. I mean, to it's pretty, it's pretty fucking good, dude. <laughs> it's pretty fucking good. You're right. You're right. Like, it's it's probably as good as Night of the Stalker for sure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's a good starting point. <laughs> since you know, since we're talking about it. Yeah, that's at two seventy fifty seven. Two fifty seven. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what's what's what do we got above that? Uh, uh, well, I have that at two fifty six now. It should be at two fifty seven. Well, then there's another problem with the list, Matt. Because I have it at 256. We only deleted something from much lower. I know. I know. I don't... I I don't... Buddy, I don't know what to tell you. We'll work it out. We'll work it out. We'll we'll figure it out. Uh, All right. I'm going to look at Batman stories that are higher than Night of the Stalker. We can also use this technique to narrow down where this mistake is. That's true. Yes. Uh, So... Uh, the Batman Adventures Holiday Special is actually just below that at 262. Um, okay. Batman and Robin Volume 1, Batman Reborn is at 240. Okay, so, okay, hang on. That's at 240 on my list. <laughs> so, All right. Do so you have, there's a problem between 240 and 256. Do you have Peanuts, the first football, football gag, at 250? I have kicked football number one at 250, yes. Do you have X Men numbers one twenty three to one twenty four arcade at two fifty five? Yes. Do you have Death of Doctor Strange at two fifty six? Okay, that's the problem. I have I I rank Death of Doctor Strange one space too low. That's what the problem is. Ah, aha! So we're just gonna we're just Solved. gonna, folks. You got to hear that live. Yes, we we're fixing the list this week or this fixing month. The list, baby. The the list, if it ain't got Mojo Nixon, your list could use some fixing. That's what I say. Spring cleaning is what we're doing on this yeah, April spring. special. Uh, we have the Black Glove at two thirty six, which is a comic I like quite a bit. Yeah. At two sixteen is the player on the other side. Ooh, I think that's definitely better. Player on the other side is better than. Birth of the then, Demon. Then, then Birth of the Demon, yeah. Okay. Is how how does it rank against Usagi Ojimbo, the Dragon Bellow Conspiracy? That's probably better. I'm gonna say this is better than Do you think this is better than the Enigma of Amagara Fault? Hmm, that's tough. That's really tough. Because I think it's definitely better than Daredevil Hardcore. I, I think we could say it's better than Thunderbolts 1 through 12. The Enigma of Amagara Fault is a comic I think about almost every day. Yeah. It's your hole. <laughs> yes. It was made for me. Where Batman takes his shirt off and gets stabbed with a fucking shovel and then comes back to life and beats somebody's ass. That hole was made for me. <laughs> 
Boy, that's tough. That's really tough. I'm okay with it not being as good as uh, the Enigma of Amagara Fault. Alright, all right, let's put it between the Enigma of Amagara Fault and Thunderbolts 1-12. through 12. Remember how there's a Steven Universe episode that's kind of based on the Enigma of Amagara Fault? Yeah, it... It's it works your way. It works its way into your brain, where everything you do ends up being an adaptation of the Enigma of Amargarfal. Um, uh, all right, Batman: Birth of the Demon is at the new number two twenty four, which is a good spot. It's good. good. Spot. If y'all haven't read it, it's good. Next on the list. From Brendan is Batman Son of the Demon by Mike W. Barr and uh, Bingham from 1987. The longest yeah boy ever. <laughs> this is the one. This is the one that like Jerry Bingham. Jerry Bingham. Jerry Bingham yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is the one that is so good it was like immediately taken out of continuity. <laughs> Uh, folks, there's 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 two things Batman does when he takes his shirt off. Uh, he fights Ra's al Ghul and he fucks. And I'll tell you which I'll tell you what he did in that last one, and I'll tell you what he does in this one, and they're not the same thing. Hey, uh, hey, can I ask you a question, Chris? And this yeah, is like this is going to sound like a rhetorical question, mm-hmm. but I absolutely mean it. Okay. Why did Batman comics ever stop looking like they looked in the mid-80s? Buddy, I don't know. When they looked so fucking good. Yeah, it's the best costume. And it's like the best art. And it still looks good. Like, look, I know everybody was just, it was like, it was just all, all the artists were just like aping year one, right? They were all just... Kind of doing an impression of David Kelly. but that shit looks good. I mean, you say that, but like, think like, look at who else was drawing Batman comics in the in the late eighties? Fucking Alan Davis, yeah. Norman Bracewell, like, even I would say uh, uh, Kelly Jones, who I'm not like a personally a huge fan of, is like a very distinct and cool looking artist. You know, yeah, like I not right. Clearly, by virtue of the fact that I can't remember his first name, Jerry Bingham is not an artist that like I think about all the time. But this book looks so fucking good. Yeah, man. It's weird that you don't think about Jerry Bingham all the time, because I do. Because <laughs> I think about this comic every day <laughs> of my life. I mean, this is when you say shirtless Batman, this is what you mean. Yeah. Batman, Batman comics. I think Batman, by and large, it's either Batman or Spider Man has the most like like percentage wise. Well, not percentage wise because percentage wise, it's like fucking the Incall or whatever, right? But like, yeah, the most well drawn pages. Are either either Batman or Spider Man? I think it, there are a lot of good comic book pages that have Batman or Spider Man on them, and I kind of would give it to 
to Batman. Yes. I, I, as someone who is not exactly a scholar of Spider-Man art, but who has written a series of articles about Spider-Man artists that I love. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of Spider-Man art. That's not good. And probably by percentage, Batman has Spider-Man beat. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of Batman art that's not good too, but there's like, there's a lot of Spider-Man art that's okay. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of, and look, I don't want to. I don't want to say his name. It's, look, somebody in the back. I'm not going to say who I'm talking about, but you know who you are. But Matt, we know who I'm talking about. <laughs> we know who do draws the just okay Spider Man. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to say it because it's mean. Well, I, I a lot of people. I'd say Spider Man has more divisive art because a lot of people hate John Romita Jr. Spider Man art. <laughs> Those people are wrong, and I disagree. But. Nonetheless, John Romita Jr. has been good at drawing Spider-Man in three, like four different decades. John Romita Jr. has had a run on Spider-Man in at least three different decades that have all looked good. Yeah, did he have a run in the eighties? Yeah, yeah, man, he drew uh, uh, nothing to stop the Juggernaut. That's right. So four different decades. Yeah, because he yeah because he did in the nineties too. So he did yeah eighties nineties two thousands. He was probably he wasn't drawing Spider Man any time in the 2010s, and now he's come back in the 2020s. Yeah, wow, looks good as hell. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I, I feel like Batman has a lot of bad art and a lot of great art. There's there's less just okay art of Batman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. The topic for another time. Anyway, this book looks good as hell. Um, there's a bit in this that, like, uh, I have had the good fortune to, after I wrote about a bunch of his comics, uh, Mike WR, like, emailed me, and we kind of became, like, like pen pals. Which is great, because I, I love... Mike WR's run on Detective Comics is maybe the most underrated run on Detective Comics of all time. It's him and fucking Alan Davis. It's so good. And... One of the things I asked him about, and I, I think this wound up like in an interview that I did for Comics Alliance, where I was like, hey man, when you write Batman, he's like very chill with killing people. <laughs> like, very cool with people dying. And one of the reasons I asked him that is that there is this scene in this where uh, a dude has a fucking Mac-10, because it's 1987, and he shoots at Batman, and a bunch of... Uh, high pressure cans of toxic waste spray on his face. And it's just like in RoboCop and his fucking face melts. And the guy says, God damn you to Batman as his face is melting off. And uh -huh. Batman says, looks like he got you first. <laughs> fucking mean. Like it doesn't seem out of character, but boy, that's mean. Don't you hey, love it when Batman fucks in this? Yeah, don't you love it when Batman just serves? I do. He's really serving do. in this. Yes. Yeah. Um, Batman fucks. Uh, this is where, kind of, sorta. This is where Damien comes from. Yes. Uh, Damien is not 
quite the baby that is conceived in this book, but this is the this is the start like this is where Damien comes from. This is where Damien comes from, essentially. In a meta textual level at least. Yeah. It's I may be totally making this up. But was there some thought originally that this was going to be the origin of a well they they call the baby him though. They don't it's it's definitely decided that the baby is male. I don't know why I had a thought that this was like some kind of post-crisis huntress backdoor, but I, I don't know where I got that from, but um, maybe Wizard Magazine speculation or something, but uh, they definitely say the baby is a him at the end, so never mind to all of that. Um, yeah, uh, this, I mean, this story have, this story feels dated in a lot of ways because it is it's it's from a specific era of Batman is James Bond stories, mm-hmm. which yeah, frequently like, involve Ra's al Ghul, world hopping, uh, international travel, playing chess. Yeah, <laughs> fucking Gorbachev is in it. Ronald yeah. Reagan's in it. Russian space rockets, uh, like and and by by virtue of that, Talia is like a Bond girl, like very much like a Bond girl. Yeah. Um, and she ends up uh, losing the baby, uh, or so she says. Uh, and there's a dude whose name is Grind. Uh, and uh, oh, it's uh, is it Grind or is it Kane with a Q? Who is the guy that Batman like just beats the living shit out of in this? I don't remember his name. Yeah, it's it's one of these dudes. Batman like just goes fucking sick house on this oh, guy. It's, it's Q A Y I N. Kayin. Kayin, yeah. Kayan. Uh but yeah. I, is he the dude who like tears dudes' rib cages out? Yeah, this dude who's like super strong, and his whole deal is like he kills you in fucked up ways. Like, uh, like he pulls a dude's teeth out with his bare hands, and then he like grabs him, like squeezes him till his ribs come through his chest. It, it's a fucking wild book, man. I love it. I fucking love it. Yeah. Uh, he also like brands the Q from his name on. <laughs> People's faces. Yeah, he writes his he writes his initials in their blood on their faces, mm-hmm. so people know it's him. So people go, "Man, this guy's somebody squeezed this guy's rib cage until it popped out of his chest." And this is a hardcover graphic novel, so we could show it. Uh, I wonder who did it. Oh wait, he's got a little cue written on his face. And then Batman does it to him. That well, Batman, Batman doesn't squeeze his rib cage. No, he puts the cue on his face. He should put a B on his face, like that lady who got attacked by supporters of Barack Obama. <laughs> I can't believe that got referenced in this discussion. Uh, it was the B was backwards, right? That was that yeah. Was, that was that was, and people were like, "Did you do that in the mirror?" And she was like, "No, it was it was 
people who love Barack Obama. And they were like, they attacked you and, and, and like used a knife to like cut a bee into your face. Like that, they were going to write Barack Obama. Yeah. That woman and the man who claimed that people vandalized his driveway by writing Black's Rule. Black's Rule. Yeah. They should be together somewhere. Yeah, they, like in jail. They should they, be together in, in like a jail. Peas in a pod. Let's rank this story, Chris. This is the one you were like saying was the number one story with Demon in it, I suppose. Yeah, and I like you, if you want to, you can talk me out of that because there is a lot in some of the Demon that I think, like I said, it's very dated. It's very like it is comics in 1987. Like if you want to know what comics were like in 87, read this. Don't read Watchmen. Read this. Because this is what more comics were like. I, uh, I, like look, look I, in some ways, it is dated. I, you're absolutely right about that. But I also think it it holds up. Like, t- talking about, you know, the James Bondiness of it all. Like, if you go back and watch Sean Connery, James Bond, gonna, there's going to be a moment in that movie where you go, ugh. Right? Because he's going to do something so grossly sexist mm-hmm. that you're going to have a moment where the whole thing kind of stops being fun. Right? Right. But if you go back and watch Roger Moore, James Bond, f- like for the most part, you're just going to have a fun time. I mean, except, except for, except for a, like a couple entire movies. Yeah. Yeah. If, I was literally having a conversation today about A View to a Kill. <laughs> Go back and watch A View to a Kill. That movie's great. This is kind of like Roger Moore, James Bond. Where it has all those trappings. And, like, it's dated. For sure. But I, I don't... I don't think there's anything in here that's just like outright offensive. Well, there's definitely some stuff of like uh, Talia, like Talia's a Bond girl. Like you, you nailed it in this, Uh, which is not the, like my favorite role for who I think is a really, really strong character in her own right. Who, But, but she's a Bond girl, like in the 80s sense where, yeah, she's, you know, gonna fuck Batman. But also she's gonna put on like a sexy cat suit and beat the shit out of some guys. Yeah. But her primary arc is that uh she gets pregnant and then uh loses the baby and then it turns out she didn't actually lose the baby. Yeah. Uh, it was a it's it was Vince Russo all along. <laughs> I am I don't think anybody else is gonna laugh at these jokes, Matt, but I'm getting you tonight. You are these. These are these are targeted jokes. <laughs> yeah, these are just. This one's just for us, everybody. Uh, I, I, look, I, I don't think the idea of Batman and James as James Bond works all the time, but this might be the best example of it. If if not this, then I, I mean, again, it's probably going to be a Russell Cool story. Yeah, uh, like like the original. Uh, Russell Gould story, the O'Neill and Adams uh, one, is 
like such a cool world traveling adventure. Uh, it's just that, you know, a dude's dressed up as a bat for the whole time. Uh, it, it's, it's that vein. And I really like that kind of Batman story. Like, I, I mean, look, I like all kinds of Batman stories, but I like the ones where a, a thing that I have said about Batman, one of the reasons I think he's a great character is because all you need for a Batman story to work is for somebody to commit a crime somewhere. And it can be anything. And because it is crime, that's his fucking business. And I like this one. You can talk me out of saying it's better than Birth of the Demon, but like, I I would pick it. I I don't think I think we can we can go a little bit higher than than we went with Birth of the Demon. I don't think it's better than the player on the other side, which is also by Mike Barr and drawn by Mike Golden. Which again, boy, the late eighties. <laughs> That's a good-looking comic book, man. Well, speaking of good-looking comic books from the late 80s, Swamp Thing, American Gothic, is it 219? It's not as good as that. I think it's probably... I th- It's definitely better than Thunderbolts. I think it's probably better than Contest of Champions. I don't know if it's better than Rogues in the House. That, that is the story where Conan fights a gorilla that thinks it's a wizard. That story rules, yeah. Yeah, that story, and particularly that version of that story, just fucking owns. Yeah. So, I I think between Contest Champions and Rogues in the House. Okay, so that would put it at the new number 222. 222! Uh, as, uh, as Rick Ross would say. Yes. Batman, Son of the Demon. It's at the new number 222. Our last Rachel Ghoul story from Brendan is Batman the Lazarus Affair, which is from Batman numbers 332 to 335, uh, written by Marv Wolfman, uh, with art by Irv Novick and Frank McLaughlin. Hmm. I'm going to have to refresh my memory. I'll tell you what, the cover to Batman 332 is pretty great. Talia, queen of the assassins, will she shoot to save Batman or to kill him? We we talked about uh, Son of the Demon being looking like mid to late 80s DC Comics. You could not get more early 80s DC Comics than this. Yeah. The 1980, from 1980 to to year one, is a, like, that is an era of Batman that, like, no one has read. And, I mean, obviously people read it. It was Batman. These comics sold a lot. But no one has read those comics. (laughs) Like, these are, it is such a weird, like, the immediate pre-crisis Batman stuff, the Jason Todd custody battle with a vampire. Uh Uh-huh. Like, I like it, but I feel like these comics are a, literally anything could happen in these. You know? Right. This, this story's fine. I mean, it's, you know, 
It's Marv Wolfman. It's Irv Novik. It is a. It's a. It's a good hand, Matt. It's a real B plus player. You know, you want you yeah. want it on your roster. I am going to contend that it is in fact bad. Okay, because page through this, it is full of racial stereotypes. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's that's fair. And just like we talked about, Son of the Demon being like a take on Batman and James Bond. This feels like a very early take on Batman as James Bond, which, you know, as you said, is often a thing that happens in Rosal Ghoul stories. But here it's like got more of the bad stuff. Yeah. I think I can see what you mean. Yeah. With this. Uh, it's. It's it is Batman as James Bond. It's also kind of Batman as Indiana Jones. Uh-huh. And but like specifically Batman in Temple of Doom. It also like the entire ending sequence of this story is so Talia gets injured and has to be revived in a Lazarus pit. Like Razogul Oh, she gets shot, actually. Um she gets shot. Razogul slaps the guy who shoots her away. And so he carries her to a like a platform that's lowered into a Lazarus pit so that she can be revived. And then Batman and Razogul just fight while she's laying on a slab across the room. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, like I said before, at least Talia put on a cat suit and fought some guys. <laughs> In Son of the Demon. Yeah. Here, she's just nothing. You know, she's just damseled. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think you, I think you have made a convincing argument. I will say, though, um, the end of this story is uh, Rosal Ghoul gets set on fire. Mm-hmm. And is just like on fire for like six pages, having a fist fight with Batman, who hits a drop kick on him, and he gets knocked into a Lazarus pit while on fire. Yeah, which and makes then, a volcano erupt. Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course, Matt. That's what happens. <laughs> that's that's science, man. I don't know what to tell you. That is, in fact, science. It's just science. Uh, I don't know. I like. It doesn't have to go in the, like, bad, bad part of the list. But I think this probably goes somewhere, like, with some of the more problematic, like, Scrooge McDuck stories or something like that. Yeah, I, I think it's... I think it's not good. I think I think you... I think you nailed it. Yeah. Uh, so... That is actually what I'm looking at right now. Um, well, Scrooge stories might not be a good measuring stick. So let's, let's look at Donald stories. Okay. Uh, 
Donald Duck Adventure Down Under is at number 1225. Mm. I bet that one's got... I, I don't remember that one off the top of my head, but I bet if we went and looked, it would we would regret going and looking. Yes, it's got it, it's got offensive stereotypes in it. Yeah. Also, D- Donald thinks he's a kangaroo. That sounds good. Like that yeah. part sounds good. That's it's a mixed bag, much like this story. I think we have found the the neighborhood. What if there's a story where Batman thinks he's a kangaroo? There's got to be, right? It's like four thousand of these things from the fifties, maybe. Could be from the eighties, man. <laughs> it was a wild time. Early 80s, wild time. Yeah, again, if you think I was joking about Batman having a custody battle for Jason Todd with a vampire, th- I was not. That happened. That's Detective Comics Comics. That was continuity for a while. Yeah. yeah. She should come back. Here's Hashtag some other Nocturna 2K24. Yeah, here's some other stuff that is in the area of Donald Duck Adventure Down Under. Chris. Mm-hmm. NFL Super Pro numbers 1 through 12 is at number 1218. Okay. Wonder Woman Earth 1 is at 1219. A similarly mixed bag of a comic. But I think it's better than this. 2004's Identity Disc is at 1221. That comic's a bunch of nothing. Yeah, it really is. Uh, the comic where the Punisher briefly becomes a black man, is it 1226? I feel like this is better than that, right? Okay. How do, how do you think it fares against that Donald Duck comic? It's probably better. Okay, is it better than X-Men Poptopia? Poptopia is also kind of bad, man. It is also kind I, of... I think it's better than Maddie Franklin... Maddie Franklin is a drugs. Matt, that's what is that what that alias story is, yes. Yeah. The underneath, in which Maddie Franklin is a drugs. Um, how about Batman and Robin, Revenge of the Red Hood? That is one of the worst drawn comics of all time, and I do not mind saying that on the record. But maybe a better story. Oh, it's definitely a better story. Okay, so... It's atrociously drawn. Number 1223? Yeah. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Batman the Lazarus Affair? At the new number 1223. I mean, it's even named like... Not necessarily a James Bond story, but like a spy story. Yeah, like a... Yeah. Like a a, a Le, Le Carre novel. Yeah. And it's Batman numbers 332 to 335. You know what I like, Chris? I like that when you're talking about comics that are in like the 300s, you don't have to say volume one. Because there will never be another Batman 300 something. There might be. Never. Never. They're never going to get that high in the numbering. And if they go back to high numbers, they'll just go back to the old numbering. So it'll be like Batman 1000-something. You know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. There'll never be another Batman 300-something. What Bond theme do you like the most? 
what Bond theme do I like the most? I'll tell you the one I would most listen to as a song. And that is Live and Let Die. Mm. Yeah. People don't like that reggae breakdown, and those people, again, those are they're wrong. I mean, it is it is treading into dangerous waters for, for Sir Paul. But I like the song, generally. Uh, Nobody Does It Better, also a great song. Nobody Does It Better is a great song, and one of the reasons it is great is that it, uh, like, works the title of the film into the song in such a hilariously sloppy, like, it is shoe, it is wedged in there with a fucking crowbar. I love it. I like it when the title of the song is not the title of the movie. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That that is like a an extra level of doing something with your James Bond theme song. Mm. Like, look, there's nothing wrong with Goldfinger. Goldfinger's good, but if the title of the song is different from the title of the movie, I th- I, I really feel like you're trying. You yeah, know? yeah. What's your favorite Bond theme? Uh, I I really do like. Uh, Nobody does it better. Um, we did have uh, we have all the time in the world from On Her Majesty's Secret Service uh, on our wedding playlist. Yeah, uh, that that is. Pro- I mean, that's probably like the objective best one. I think another one where the title of the song is not the title of the movie. Yeah, uh, I would also say. I mean, like. You are you are likely to catch me listening to Chris Cornell's You Know My Name. It's a good song. It's a good song. Yeah. But I, the Billie Eilish one is really good, too. It's a shame about the movie, but the uh, Billie Eilish song is really good. I mean, look, for pure enjoyment, I don't know if I actually enjoy it or I ironically enjoy it, but the Jack White, Alicia Keys. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> The theme from Quantum of Solace. Great. The one that features one of my favorite lines, shoot em up, bang, bang. Uh-huh. That's it. All right. So we got to move on to our next list, Chris. This is from uh, D's Knots. First up is uh, Roger Langridge's Popeye for IDW. That's a good comic. Which started as a four-issue miniseries, but then expanded to a 12-issue, a 12-issue series. Uh, I could be misremembering because it's been a while since I've read it and I would love to have an excuse to read it again. I think I don't, I think that is like purposefully like not a, a single story, but I do also think they are of similar quality being that they are Roger language. Yeah. That, that comic was like 2012. Yeah. That seems right. Yeah, it's good. I can tell you it's good. I could not currently tell you a thing that happens in it. Yeah, it's it's been a minimum of ten years since we would have read it. I know it's good because I bought it in paperback and then got it signed. Yes. And I would not have purchased a physical copy if I did not like it. I don't 
know if I read all 12. I may have only read the first four. Could be a catch-up. Could be a catch-up. We're really getting pushed to catch-up on The Man Called Fate. But that's 22 issues. Fate. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll think it over. We'll think it over for May. Uh, what exactly we're going to do. Pat going to have to work pretty hard if he wants me to catch up on a man called Fate. 22 issues is a, is a big ask. It's, for a, a it's a big ask. Yeah. All right. So, so despite having good feelings about IDW Popeye, I don't know that we can rank it. Yeah, I can I can tell you it's good. If we're going to rank it against comics that I do remember better, I would need to refresh my memory. Yes. All right. Next up, Chris, is a comic strip from the year 2000. It is the last Charles Schultz Peanuts Sunday strip. Uh, published on January second, two thousand. All right, you got a got a got a link for me. I I have sent you the link. Okay. All right. Here we go. In uh, this strip, uh, we have uh, Peppermint Patty laying down in the mud uh, while it's raining. Saying, a little rain, a little mud, this is what it's all about. Hey Chuck, it's a great game, isn't it? Fun. We're having fun, aren't we, Chuck? It's still your ball, fourth down. What are we going to do, Chuck? You going to run or pass? Through all of this, she's just like crawling through the mud in the rain. And Marcy, with an umbrella, is standing behind her saying, Everybody's gone home, sir. You should go home, too. It's getting dark. Uh, and Peppermint Patty says, We had fun, didn't we, Marcy? And uh, Marcy says, yes, sir, we had fun. Peppermint Patty finally says, nobody shook hands and said, good game. Melancholy. It's legitimately one of the most depressing things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know if it's meant to be as depressing as it is. But just like the... I think it probably is. I I mean, Charles Schultz. This is this is Charles Schultz knew what he was doing. Yeah, but this is like later era Charles Schultz, and it's and it's Peppermint Patty, who's not a character that is usually like this grim. Yeah, I I don't know. I I don't think it's on accident. the The thing about the later era peanut strips. Is not so much that they are bad by any means. The art in them has taken a hit because, like, obviously Schulz's hand wasn't as steady. Yeah, he's like he's like a hundred years old at this point. Yeah, and let me tell you, if this was a uh, St. Paul, Minnesota's own Charles Schulz, they got. Buddy, let me tell you, up here, there's there's the Snoopies and and Linus Linies and and Sallies and and not as many Charlie Browns. 
there's definitely a lot of Snoopies, and like I've seen at least a, a couple of Sallies. Uh, but like they're all over the place up here, and I can tell you, we're we're thinking like like a three month lead time, maybe, on, on this trip. November's still pretty cold, man. <laughs> October, still pretty cold. Probably snowing. You say that Peppermint Patty is not usually this grim. But she's the one who's still there. Yeah, that's what I mean. Is like Peppermint Patty's usually like the foil for Charlie Brown. But in this one, there's just something so sad about like even if we I, I feel like the most non-depressing read of this comic, right? Is that Peppermint Patty was having so much fun, and when the rain started, nobody wanted to play in the rain, so everybody else went home. But she didn't even know because she was too busy having fun. But and and for her, the game's not over till you shake hands and say good game, right? That's the least depressing read of this comic. Yeah, that's still incredibly depressing. I mean, yeah, the metaphorical read is that all the other children have died. And <laughs> they've all been raptured, and Peppermint Patty is the only one left, with and Marcy. Uh, and Marcy, they, uh, for obvious reasons. Yeah, Marcy is the messenger of God who... Yeah, the Marcy Tron. Yeah, who is here to let Peppermint Patty know that uh, she must live out a... Uh, lonely purgatory on Earth, uh, where but but they had fun. It was fun while it lasted. But now, Peppermint Patty, you must live a solitary life as the only inhabitant of of uh, of the planet Earth. All Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> here's what. Here's what I think is the make or break panel of this comic. We had fun, didn't we, Marcy? That makes it seem like this is actually, like, Peppermint Patty's actually, like, 90 years old. Yeah. You know, like, Peppermint Patty's 104, Marcy's dead. You know, like, that, like, I don't know why that's where my mind goes, but, like, it's the... Whether you want to ascribe the quiet desperation to... We had fun, Marcy. Didn't we? Like, I mean... Like, the next panel is Marcy shooting Patty in the head. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's a read of this strip straight up where Peppermint Patty is just Charles Schultz. Like, Peppermint Patty is like, or Charles Schultz is like, I would love to keep doing this, but I cannot. And this is my way of expressing that. See, I don't, I don't, that, like, okay, here's the thing that I can't remember that you might know off the top of your head. Was this, like, planned as the last Peanuts strip? I think so. Because um, I don't think... I think he retired. I know that he did not live terribly long after the strip ended. A month. Yeah. A month. But he he did plan his retirement. Um, I, I remember there being like news reports and stuff on TV and, and stuff like that about how like 
he had long planned to retire from from peanuts partially because of health issues i believe but he finally got all that mutual of omaha money yeah yeah they're like if you can make it to to the year 2000 that wild future year but cuz he he, he did he did retire and he knew he had, yes he had planned to for this to be the final strip okay cuz it doesn't really work as a metaphor on that level right because charles schulz is the one who went home right like like everybody else was still out here and everybody was saying good game to charles schulz <laughs> So like yeah I I don't feel like it works as an intentional metaphor from him on that front. It's just so depressing and I do, like the two things that like Pepper and Patty loves playing football in the rain and the rain's coming down so hard that she can't even see anybody and is just like, you know, talking to them and they're not even there cuz you know She's ready to play in the rain, you know. Like it, it's not it's not over till you shake hands uh, for Peppermint Patty. Even if everybody else decides to go home, like well, th- this might this might add some. Yeah, good. This might add some context. Okay. So, part of what forced Schultz to retire from the comic was um, was health problems. Um. And because of chemotherapy he he was getting for the cancer that he had, mm. um, it was affecting his vision. He couldn't see mm. clearly. And I think that may have had an impact on the art that he was Oof, okay, yeah. Oof. in the later later comics as well. And so Patty can't see that all the everyone else is gone. Yeah. I think the rain could be read as the metaphorical depiction of that, of his health issues. So in 1999, he was interviewed by Al Roker for the Today Show. And he quote, he said, quote, I never dreamed that this was what would happen to me. I always had the feeling that I would probably stay with the strip until I was in my early 80s. But all of a sudden it's gone. It's been taken away from me. I did not take this away from me. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. And you know, like he was like a, a sports guy. Yes. Like his, his lesser known comic strip was like a, like all sports gags. So yeah, I, 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 I think this is, is his self insert there. I think this is Charles Schultz talking. Like God, he wanted dude. to keep playing the game, and how, he couldn't. How are we supposed to do another fucking hour of this show? This is so sad. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yeah, like I thought it was depressing without the context. Yeah. God. So here's 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 my question. I guess. Uh huh. The other comic strip that we have discussed as being um, needlessly depressing 
at times is Calvin and Hobbes. Is this? Can we, just, can we not rank this? We have to rank it. It's a story, we and we the... we have to. We don't have to. Look, Matt, it's it's our list. Can, Yours and we mine. We can knock it out. We own it. All right, we can stop talking about it and just rank it quickly. That's I that would be my bum the rest of the list out. <laughs> is it is it more or worse? More or less depressing than the last Calvin and Hobbes strip. I think it's better than the last Calvin and Hobbes strip. But is it? I think it like I think it might go right above it. I like okay. As you know, Matt, I don't enjoy feeling the lesser emotions. So things that bum me out do not generally fare well on the list yeah. for that reason. Uh, all, all media is emotionally manipulative. All, all media, it, you are meant to feel emotions. Uh, but I do not like feeling the lesser ones. I like right. feeling the ones about, like, Batman, like, mouthing off of that dude who just had his fucking face melted, like the guy in RoboCop. Uh-huh. This is definitely making me feel an emotion I don't like. But I think it's a good... If that's the intent... And I mean, like, even if it isn't the intent, like that's what I'm taking from it. I think it's a good strip. Like I think it's well done. It's, yeah. it's, it has impact. And it has an economy of storytelling, even though most of it is Peppermint Patty. Like kind of repeating herself in the rain. Like, it's not... It shouldn't feel like it has as good an economy of storytelling as it actually does. Alright. Here's what I'm going to say, then. Okay. I'll I'll put it above the Calvin and Hobbes strip that is also depressing, and also is about a rainy day, which is at number 987. I also think this is better than the peanut strip in which Spike killed a rabbit. Yeah, that one's whack. But I don't think it's better than Stupendous Man Attacks. Probably and not. No. And I don't think it's better than the first appearance of the Scrolls. So this okay, is the well, new number 986. It might be better than the first appearance of the Scrolls. All right. We can put it at the new number 985. It's definitely not as good as Rosalind the Babysitter. Yeah, I'm I'm putting it at the number nine eighty five. Yeah, I think that's a good one. Uh, so it's peanuts one two two thousand. I'm calling it peanuts. Nobody what? shook hands. Last Sunday strip. Yeah, nobody shook hands. And finally, here on the list from D's. Is uh, Neil Gaiman and Mark Buckingham's True Things? I haven't read it. Uh, well, it is a two-page story uh, by Neil Gaiman and Mark Buckingham, and it is about Alan Moore. And uh, Dee's has thank has kindly sent it to us. I so, mean. Do you like you lost my interest when you said it was a, a Neil Gaiman story that I didn't know. <laughs> then you really regained it with its two pages, and it's about Alan Moore. 
That sounds fun. So here's, here's, I'll, I'll give you the quick rundown of what happens in this story. Uh, Alan Moore is walking around. It's two pages. No, you, you can read it. You can read it. I'm just, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to describe it to our listeners. Okay. So Alan Moore in, in kind of silhouette is seen walking around. This is Mark Buckingham art, by the way, and Todd Klein letters. So the letters are great. Um, Mark Buckingham draws children in this comic, and you want to talk about children looking like little adults? Boy, do they. Anyway, Alan Moore is walking through Northampton with this, his cane. This little child looks like, like Walter. He does. <laughs> Walter in a little dress shirt and tie and shorts. Uh, he is approached by some children in Northampton who think it's funny to run up to Alan Moore and try to ask him questions. And one runs up and says, Mr. Moore, Mr. Moore, will you tell me my fortune? And Alan Moore proceeds to tell this child a story about how he will get a job at an abattoir. And he will learn that his wife is having an affair with his boss and he will uh, try to kill himself, but they'll find him before he dies. And uh, he then he'll die in a fire, and his wife will remarry. And the kid goes, oh. And it says, he is never wrong. And then it shows Alan Moore in his study, uh, and... Uh, He's arguing with the skull of a Buddhist monk. And he's smoking, and the Buddhist monk skull is like, what What are you doing to your lungs? And Alan Moore says, well, at least I've got lungs. Uh, and then he suggests that Alan should have a cup of tea. They talk about, It says his house is called Seaview. Uh, his neighbors are scared of him. He says, good morning to the milkman. Uh, and the milkman says, did you know that Northampton was the city in England, in England furthest away from the sea? They teach us things like that in milkman school. And Alan Moore says, yes, I did know that. Uh, then there's a bit about Alan Moore digging under his house, and there's a pond in his back garden as big as the world. Some, sometimes he carries a beach ball, sometimes he ties all his worldly possessions in the skull of the Tibetan monk, up in a spotted hanky on a stick, and sometimes he just packs sandwiches. Uh, there's a ship always waiting for him in the pond in his backyard, and uh, he sits on the rocks and eats sandwiches. And then he goes back up to the garden path to his kitchen and goes inside and makes himself a cup of tea. And so it's just myth making about Alan Moore. Um. Do you remember, Matt, uh, you and I, we used to work for a, a website called Comics Alliance. We did. Yeah. Uh, and we uh, did uh, like posts for like important creators' birthdays, uh, which were great because we could run them every year. Uh, do you remember those? 
I do. Yeah, I do. Did you ever read the one that Benito Sereno wrote for me? I think I did. I think I remember uh, that. It was incredibly mean. <laughs> uh, it was it was like there was a bit in there about how uh I you know really I, I think it's that I, I really loved new ideas. And in fact, I loved new ideas so much that I have self-published so many comics that only had first issues. Which is fucking brutal. Uh, and it ended with uh, the fact that I sadly uh, died in uh, September of 2011 uh, at the exact moment that my beloved post-zero-hour DC Universe perished. That one is... I mean, I guess you could call it mean, but it is also like poetic. Yeah, no, no, it's great. It's 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 great. Um, this is like that if that wasn't funny. <sighs> yeah, I understand that it's like a fable, like it's it's trying to be like Neil Gaiman is trying to be a fabulist with this story. A liar, you mean? Uh huh. That's what that's what you call someone who says things that aren't true. <laughs> Liar. Yes. <laughs> but it's called true things. Yeah. The, the problem the problem with this for me is that it keeps seeming like it's going to become a story and then it just become then it just turns into something else. Yeah. It's, it's like, like hey, it's here's, now here's this other thing. It's weird for a two-page story to have a strong first half and then a a bad back half. Right? Because it does kind of go off the rails in the second half, a.k.a. page two. It just doesn't, like, hold together. And and I, I, I get that that's the point of it. Like, just like, here's a bunch of stuff I made up about Alan Moore. But like, it's also got dialogue. Well, it's, so it's like, like, it like I don't know. What, do you know the context of this? I feel like this was like from an like like an Alan Moore tribute book because I think I've read other stories from that. Uh, let me see. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know if I can effectively say this, but like I'm having some hesitations about calling this a story. I mean, I think it's I. It does depict events, Matt, and that's kind of the the hell we have made for ourselves. Yeah, it is. Uh, part of a book called The Extraordinary Works of Alan Moore. Yes. Yeah, that was I, I had that. I believe it was a uh like a tribute book for Moore's 50th or 60th birthday. Uh because I remember that like there were a bunch of different like people doing uh like essentially these like fun little comics about Alan Moore uh that all had, you know, like some like weird thing. This, I mean, it just gets so fucking twee. 
right? Yeah. At the end, like like when it's oh, it's a pond as big as the world. He like, lives in a teacup. Oh, he's got the, the milkman's soul. Like, the milkman tells him that this is nowhere near the sea. But and yet his house is sea view. Like it's I can't with it, dude. I yeah. can't with it. Like, I want to know more about this kid that he told this. Well, I mean, you know everything about that kid, dude. I guess so. Like, yeah. he told him everything that's ever going to happen to Is him. It, wouldn't it be funny if Alan Moore told a child that he was going to fail to commit suicide? Wouldn't that just be funny? Yeah, wouldn't What's that be a hoot? Hey, Neil? Neil? What's funny about that dog? Like, it introduces the character of this skull, this, like, Buddhist monk skull. And then it gets put in a bag, and it doesn't come back. I mean, it's only a two-page story, so I'm not, I'm not mad that there's not callbacks. Of, okay, <laughs> yes. It just, yeah, it kind of peters out. I'm like, glad you're with me on this, because I was worried I was being a real party pooper. No, I like. I, look, I'm sure there are people who love this. I'm sure there are people who love this story and love this kind of writing and love this Very approach. Well Except for that child. <laughs> I, I mean, but this child is, is funny looking. Yeah, he's got a real jaw. Like Volta. A, a child with the strongest jawline I've ever seen. That child is going to powerbomb Seamus. I told yes. my wife, who did not watch uh, that uh, triple threat from WrestleMania Goes Hollywood, uh, uh, I, I was like, hey, I really want to watch this match with you. Because I've watched it twice now. <laughs> and it's like, it's the damnedest thing I've ever seen. It's the match people are going to remember from that WrestleMania. Yeah. Without question. It's easily one of my favorite WrestleMania matches of all time. Yeah. And it, like, like, and it absolutely shouldn't be, right? Because I don't normally like it when people are like working stiff. Because I feel like that's not the, the point of the thing. But it's just three dudes who were like, hey, what if we just went out there and hit each other for real for half an hour? Yeah, yeah. It's like people are going to complain about dropping the ball on Cody for a while, as they should. But the the match people are going to remember that that match where three huge men just hit each other and hit each other and hit each other, fucking hit each other. I've never seen like they brought up that like Michael Cole has called twenty WrestleManias, and I've never seen him. In just the pure delight of watching professional wrestling, just start laughing. (laughs) Like, in the way that I laugh when I watch this, and I'm like, this is fucking great. I've never heard him express that genuine emotion at that level until I watched that match. And him and Corey and Titus O'Neil are just having 
a fucking bang up time watching the damnedest thing any of them have ever seen. Okay, Chris, during our discussion of this Neil Gaiman comic about Alan Moore, we started talking about a WrestleMania match. Yeah. Which means either we rank it low or we mm-hmm. don't rank it at all. Which one is it? Like, you I didn't th- want to rank the peanut strip. I kind of don't want to rank this. I mean, we have to, Matt. It the only the only thing we have is that it it has to depict events. It has to depict yeah. a narrative of some sort, and this is a a narrative of some sort. Is of it some ever- sort? But it is not a story. Stories have beginnings, middles, and ends, and this is either all middle or all beginning. It's it it is a deeply unsatisfying narrative. I mean, yeah, it's not good. Yeah, I would say it's bad. But boy, the more I think about it, the more we talk about it, the more it just chaps me. The is more it I am chapped. Sixteen oh two. I mean, 1602 is is a narrative of some kind. 1602 tells a story, so I would I would say worse. Okay, worse than 1602. Sandman World's End, frame story only, is at number thirteen hundred and twenty-two. <laughs> okay, this is equivalent to that. Wow. Okay. Uh, Batman the Wedding also is a comic that is only, like, technically depicting events. <laughs> right? Yeah, where is that on here? Uh, it is at, uh, 1323. Oh, yeah, okay. I don't have it as the wedding, I just have it as number 50. Okay. And I will say, um, I will say, bang up art and lettering. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I... <sighs> this is... I, okay, I'll say this is better than Spider-Man J. Leno One Night Only. The, that's a low bar to clear. Yeah, a, a comic that offended me personally at the time of its release, because I was a Letterman guy. Um... Better or worse than just imagine Stanley creating Batman. Not good. Also involves pro wrestling. Yeah. So maybe that gives it the edge. I would say that gives it the edge. Let's let's drop it on here underneath that. Thirteen twenty-five. The new number thirteen twenty-five is True Things. Neil Gaiman. Mark Buckingham. Story about Alan Moore. I think Neil Gaiman is is the most beloved comic writer who does not fare well on this list. Probably. Probably. I mean, we have some Neil Gaiman stories that are, like, not rated low. But you show me a story like that. You show me a thing like that where it's just a bunch of, like, wouldn't it be funny if 
Alan Moore told a child he was going to fail to commit suicide, and also, he has an ocean in his backyard. He does. I am making the jerk-off motion. God damn it. Why? Why would... Alan Moore, like, literally worships a snake puppet. Or did it one time. Yeah, that's that's what that's the thing about it. Yeah, <laughs> you could do a true comic about how Alan Moore actually lives, and it would be more interesting than this. Yeah, that's that's the biggest crime of this. Like sometimes truth is better than fiction, and this story is the proof. Yeah. Okay, so we have two backup comics that Dee's sent us. We'll take one of them since we didn't rank Roger Langridge's, Langridge's Popeye. Uh, and it'll be Ken Akamatsu's Love Hina. Fuck that comic. Have you read all of Love Hina? I have not read all of Love Hina. Do you know why I haven't read all of Love Hina? Because fuck that comic. <laughs> The year is 1999. <laughs> I loved anime, loved manga, and back then we were just kind of getting to the like the 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 point in time where it would be more widely available, but it wasn't widely available yet. You still had to deal with like literally DVDs with like four episodes on them. Like, which is wild. That's wild to think about. But like, 30 bucks for four episodes of Trigun. Or whatever. And I was reading right, you, anything... Right. What's that? No, I was just agreeing with you. That's that's how much it cost for the for four episodes of Trigun, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There was no Crunchyroll, there was no Funimation. And if you wanted, if you liked manga, the options were pretty fucking slim, y'all. And I was someone who like, knew where to look for stuff. So I would read anything. I we gotta talk about Sorcerer Hunters one of these days, man. I kinda wanna reread Sorcerer Hunters, but I think Sorcerer Hunters is like mad out of print. Uh because it's super buck wild. Uh <laughs> but I was reading Love Hina because it was manga and I knew like people I knew liked it. I don't know, they might have mentioned it on fucking Mega Tokyo or something. Remember that? I do, I do. Remember Mega Tokyo? That he used to talk like he was a computer guy. Like he'd say th- three instead of instead of e. That was web comics. It was. So I was reading Love Hina, and I'm reading it, and it's a harem manga. It's about this piece of shit kid. Who I think he inherits like a boarding house or something, and they like there's a bunch of girls in it, and the girls all hate him, and there's one in particular her name is Naru Narusagawa, and she really hates him, and he doesn't like her either because she's like a real asshole, but it's. But it's like a romance; they like each other, and he keeps like walking in on all the other girls naked. And there's like a there's like a samurai girl, and I think there's like a child, or whatever. 
Um, and I'm reading it, and I'm reading about fucking Naru Narusegawa, and I I get to this point where I literally look up from reading it. I think I was alone. I and I just said out loud, I fucking hate this. And then I didn't read manga for 10 years. A harrowing tale. A so harrowing no, I have tale. not read the whole thing, nor shall I, but I can tell you it fucking sucks. These suggest that it could just be the first arc, but I don't know that you even finished that, so... Oh no, We're dog, gonna... this is like, I was in volume seven. Oh, so we could rank the first arc. Yeah. You know how, um, remember that when I played Skyrim, and I put 80 hours into it, and then I was like, hang on, I'm not enjoying this. Uh-huh. And then I keep wanting to go back, like I asked you like the other week, because it was, it's always on Super Sale. And I was like, hey, do, like, do you think like the, the anniversary edition of Skyrim that has like all the DLC and everything, like, is that worth like 15 bucks? And you were like, no. And you're right. No, because if you've played if you've played Skyrim, you've played Skyrim. Yeah. It, the worst thing about Skyrim is the ending. That's that's like, hard to hear because because <laughs> I never even got to that. Yeah, I mean if you get to the ending of the main quest line, it is such an anticlimax. And like if if you're playing it to get to the ending, you're gonna be disappointed. Skyrim is a game that is about nothing but the journey. And But the journey also sucks. But if you've put in the eighty hours, you've done it. You don't like- need to do any more. It's so weird because, like, I I feel like it's a good, like, it's a it's a fun game to play. Like, I enjoy like like the thing that I enjoyed about it was like, I I it's a very well made game mechanically. You know, like shooting, like yeah. like you know, like sneaky sniper yeah. guy. So that was yeah. fun. I mean, what I've discovered about open world games is that for me. The enjoyment of them, well, of of say you're like Skyrim's or Fallout's or Bethesda style open world games, is just r- r- rolling around on the map, finding a location you haven't been to before, and exploring it. Mm-hmm. That's what's fun. Like going into a cave or a building and being like, "What's in here?" And then you go in, and you might find something neat. That's what those games are for. <laughs> Do you think maybe instead of spending like twenty bucks on on the Skyrim anniversary edition, you think I should buy The Witcher for like seven dollars? Because it's also the first Witcher. No, uh, uh, The Witcher Three: The Wild Hunt. Well, you already tried to play that too. <laughs> Yeah, but like now I I play on my Steam Deck, which means I can play in bed. I don't know. I don't know. In hindsight, I don't know how much I actually liked 
The Witcher Three: The Wild Hunt. I know you liked Gwent. Uh, I liked I liked the card game in it. So, are we not going to rank Love Hina at all? Um, I mean, we can. I definitely read that first volume, and I remembered Naru Narusegawa's name. Okay, then let's rank the first volume of Love Hina. Uh, it fucking sucks, dude. Okay, give me a number. <laughs> uh, the character, like the characters, are garbage. Uh-huh. Um, like the main guy is is garbage, but also like all of these, like, what's the appeal of a harem manga where no one is interesting or cool? Like, cause like if the guy's not cool, I guess, cause like the the guy. It is like the appeal of a harem manga is that like, like it, it's it's oh I could be this guy and and live with all these hot girls right, yeah. but but like if that guy sucks then like it isn't it just like saying you suck and then if none of the none of the 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 girls are interesting. Or 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 boy or or other people. I am specifically speaking about this particular harem manga, harem manga, harem manga, harem manga. Just cut every, which in whichever one was right. <laughs> Scaramanga, Kananga. Yeah, yeah, Scaramanga. Yes. The man with the golden gun. I feel like the whole point of a Scaramanga, like like the enigma of <laughs> like a Junji Ito book, a Scaramanga. like none of the characters are good they all suck and i fucking hate them all okay is it better or worse than trouble trouble didn't stop me from reading marvel comics you know fair fair and it's all like also I didn't say this because I I don't think I need to, but like also it is a harem manga, which is like I mean you can guess all of the. It yeah. has problematic aspects beyond just the fact that uh, the characters suck and I hate them all. All right, so there are roughly twenty five comics below Trouble. Okay. So find me a spot below trouble between 1426 and 1449 i don't want to okay it's okay this is a dire section of the list it's the bottom (laughs) all right it's I mean all of these are very bad. <laughs> these are the twenty-five worst comics ever printed. I yes. think it might go right below trouble because I have a hard time like I do think loss is better than we gave it credit for. It's not. It's it's awful. I think I think it goes below loss. Above below loss. Ultimate Iron Man. Ultimate Iron Man, which is just a gross, gross book. Okay. Like gross on every level. Yeah. All right. Love Hina Volume 1 goes at number 1428. 
what a journey. What a journey that was. Usually, Chris, we break the recording up into two parts, but we're already at an hour and a half. So let's just go. Hey, in the words of War Rocket Ajax Hall of Famer, that's right, the War Rocket Ajax Hall of Fame, we're announcing it here. We'll, there will be a ceremony during the 2024 Gordy Awards, but throughout the year we will give you our, our first class, our inaugural class of the War Rocket Ajax Hall of Fame. So in the words of Hall of Famer, Fred Durst, all right, don't keep on moving, baby. <laughs> all right, Gregory Luther has some Wolverine comics for us to rank. I like that first guy. is, yeah, I like that guy. Uh, the first is Wolverine Enemy of the State by Mark Miller and John Romita Jr., Okay. All right. First of all, do we not have this on the list already? Uh, let me double check. We uh, no. That's that's a Black Panther story called "Enemy of the State." It, yes, a common phrase that is used as titles for many things. Um. Uh, all right. It is not on the list. No. I'm gonna. I'm gonna maybe make a controversial statement, Matt. Mm, mm, mm. Because as potential War Rocket Ajax Hall of Famer Eric Bischoff says, controversy creates cash. Creates cash. Yeah. I feel like the story kind of rules. Like, it it's... doesn't. I'm not gonna ask the machine because I think the machine will say no if I just ask it. Like, if I if I say hey. What's what's Wolverine enemy the state like 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 if I feed that information and I feel like the machine is just gonna be like like you know, does not compute. You know? Cause it doesn't rule yeah. but it kinda rules. Like it's just dumb enough. My counter take to your hot take is that while it does kind of rule, like it brings, yeah, it's just dumb enough. Like it, it is the dumb Wolverine action movie. Yeah. But, but my counter take is I was inclined, especially when it was coming out to, not not like it, but really read it with a critical eye, because it is, or at least it was when it was coming out, overrated. I remember people saying when this book was coming out that it was like, the reinvention of Wolverine. This is the Wolverine we've been waiting for. He's finally got his berserker rage back. He's, it's, it's, you know, the Wolverine we love again. And it's like, there were good Wolverine comics coming out before this. Okay, okay. There were. But keep in mind that this is the series that starts off with the Mean Man. With the Mean Man, that's right, yeah. So there hadn't... There actually kind of hadn't been this kind of Wolverine story for a couple of years, at least. Like, 
it certainly this kind of big dumb Wolverine story had feels like it had not been around for a minute. Cause this was like in the kind of post Morrison era. Yeah. And it's, and it was sort of, it was sort of post Joss Whedon too. So like, so a lot of Wolverine up to this point was either like, he's kind of like an aging mentor figure or he's almost like a comedic character. Like he's he's played for laughs like he was in Astonishing X-Men. Yeah. Yeah. And I I do feel like I feel like there was a time when if Mark Miller had just done dumb comics, then we all would have been fine. But he had to go and, like, do comics that were too dumb and, like, bad. Well, it was... He he went and did comics that were, like, high concept, but in the wrong way. Yeah. The best thing about Enemy of the State is that it's not particularly high concept. It's a big, dumb Wolverine action movie. Yeah, it's a big, dumb Wolverine action movie, and Wolverine gets gets got by the hand, and he's a bad guy, and it's Wolverine fighting everybody else in the Marvel Universe. Including a shark. Yeah, Wolverine fight, fight the shark is a fun idea. Like, yeah, he fight. He fight just want to see that. Hell yeah, I like that shit. He fights the Fantastic Four, and like the fun thing about it is like he gets the shit kicked out of him by a lot of people, which is great because that's what Wolverine's good at. Wolverine, like my dad, pointed this out when I was a child. I was like, yeah, Wolverine. You know, he's he's like the coolest guy ever. He's got claws, but like his bones can't break. And even if he gets like, you know, shot or stabbed or whatever, he'll heal up. And my dad went, so his powers that he can get his ass kicked. And my dad thought that was a negative, but that is Wolverine's power. And it is a positive. Yeah. I mean, specifically he can get his ass kicked and then keeps getting back up. Yeah, that's that's what's cool and good about Wolverine. And yeah, it's Wolverine versus the Marvel Universe. It's Wolverine versus Elektra. It's Wolverine versus Daredevil. It's Wolverine versus the Fantastic Four. It's Wolverine versus Captain America. It's it's like Wolverine versus the Marvel Universe, which is you know a cool idea. Like I I was at, I think at one point inclined more inclined to dislike this story. Because it's Mark Miller, and because people were so kind of needlessly effusive, like there was so much effusive praise of this story that the sort of like, you know, uh, I don't know, the part of me that wants to push back 
against the prevailing thought. Wanted to be like, okay, you like this story too much. But in hindsight and looking at it, you know, through a lens of just like, is this story good or not? It is like a fun, big, dumb action story. Yeah. Also, John Romita Jr. drew it, and we have already talked on this episode. You and I are both John Romita Jr. guys. Yeah. And he honestly, like, kicks ass in this. Like, it's it's full, like, it is a, you would not mistake this Mark Miller comic for a Grant Morrison comic. Yeah. Uh, like, like when, like, a few years prior to this, when Mark Miller was writing Superman Adventures, and kind of Grant Morrison was probably writing Superman Adventures. You know, if you, if you get what I'm saying, uh, but you would like, it's not as egregious as Miller gets in other things. Even I would say the ultimates, I mean, not even that far, a little bit of ultimate seeps into this because the way Miller writes Captain America is like. No other writer writes Captain America. Like when the when the Avengers or like Nick Fury and Captain America and and everybody finally take down Wolverine, he Captain America goes heal this, and it's like that's not but that's not how Captain America talks, man. Which is is very funny that he says that when he like bonks him on the head with his shield. Uh huh. Like, which, yeah, like, I mean, he he can heal that. Like, that's that's a thing he can do. That's, like, so there's, there's the Mark Miller problem of characters kind of being out of character. Yeah, but I do, but along those same lines, I do like that when uh, Wolverine, like, everybody gets together and they're, they're taking down Wolverine, like, Captain America is the guy who wins the fight, because, like, even though this was this is pre uh Avengers movie, right? This is pre like yeah. this is kind of pre the Avengers being a big deal. It's still like, you know, people in the Marvel universe treat Captain America like he's a big deal, you know? And I like I like that. Yeah. yeah. It is very he's the guy who has everyone's respect. Yeah. Like it, it, it's very cinematic, but like this comic kind of rules. <laughs> like I, I'm sure I'm forgetting something. I know there's like some weird stuff with uh, Baron Strucker, and like Baron Strucker's a cuck or something in here, which is very Baron Cucker. There we go. Very, um, yeah, it's very 2003. Yeah, but it like especially by Mark Mill. Like this is. Mark Miller did not get on a boat and sail into the Bermuda Triangle, right? Mark Miller just, like, wrote a bunch of bad comics. Right, yeah. Like, a bunch yeah. of atrociously bad comics. Uh, but, he like, they were not comics that, if they did exist, would feel like a betrayal. In the way that, like, if, like Frank Miller might have done if he hadn't vanished in 1993. Yeah, I mean, it's also like you know, I, I, I think I actually think Mark Miller has made some pretty like uh, public statements in the last few years. 
Oh, I mean, I'm but, not surprised. Yeah. Uh, but, like, you know. Also, Mark, like, the most frustrating thing about Mark Miller is that he could have been good. Like, I truly believe there was good in him I, once. I, I wonder. I wonder. Because, like, the first big Mark Miller comic was... We're like we're solo was his run on the authority, right? Yeah, but he was he was writing Superman Adventures in theory solo before that, and had done some like some other things, but like a lot of his stuff was was co written with Grant. Yeah, most everything up to that point was at least. Co-written or at least attached to Grant Morrison in some way. Yeah. Aztec, JLA, Zariel. Yeah. And that first authority arc that he wrote was considered to be very good at the time it was being released. It was like, you know, edgy and cool. Mm -hmm. And in hindsight, it's just like a bunch of edgy bullshit, right? Yes. It's like, oh, these guys are the Avengers and they suck. That's what that story was. Yes. So I don't know. (laughs) I don't know that there's a case to be made that Mark Miller was at one time good or had good in him. Because his very first solo story was edgy, was edgelord shit that he would become known for. Like, this might be the best Mark Miller comic. It might be. It might be. Like, if if we are discounting stuff like the Superman adventure, because the best Mark Miller comic is How Much Can One Man Hate? Which is uh, an issue of Superman Adventures, which is incredible. It's one of the best Superman stories of all time. But, yeah. in a way that you kind of suspect... That maybe, maybe, you know, he was having some lunch with, with friends, with, with a friend, and they talked over an idea. Which is fine. It's a lot, like, that's how a lot of good stuff gets written. But you kind of suspect that. I, I, I'm going to carve out the Superman Adventures books and say that this, this might be and probably is the best Mark Miller comic. Like, cause, cause as we said, it's not trying to be too high concept. It's not like, it's not really trying to be edgy. You know, I think the edgiest thing about it. I, I mean, like, I guess North star gets killed temporarily, but yeah. that feels like a, that feels like a blip. North star was dead for like, even by Marvel standards, like a very short amount of time. But yeah, like, oh, Wolverine's a bad guy. He's going to fight the whole Marvel universe. Oh, is he going to win? No. Like, that's kind of a, that's a fun idea. That's a fun idea. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's, let's rank this. I, I think it is pretty good. If, rather overrated 
it was rather overrated at the time. Not as overrated as Old Man Logan. No, not as overrated, overrated as Old Man Logan. It's better than Old Man Logan. It's better than Old Man Logan, yes. Because Old Man Logan is trying to, trying to do that high concept shit. Mark Miller gets in trouble when he tries to do when he tries to come up with a high concept. When when he when he tries to be clever instead yeah. of I don't I don't know because like kick ass well, every every Mark Miller high concept is hey what if something good was bad yeah yeah <laughs> and this is that too though like what if Wolverine was a bad guy but it works but that works for Wolverine yeah yeah and like he doesn't fundamentally change who he is he's just being controlled by the hand yeah. Aren't That's the best thing about it. Yeah. No, that's the best thing about it, right? Is that he's still Wolverine as he's doing all this stuff. Yeah. He just doesn't know he's being mind controlled. Um Okay. Find find me find me a spot. Find me a spot on the list. Well, we've got Wolverine's marriage is at 255. It's not that good. Uh Wolverine no, versus Lady Death Strike is at 269. It's not that good. Spider-Man versus Wolverine is at 452, which I honestly do think is kind of comparable. I think I think that's better than this, but okay. Uh at where's our highest ranked Mark, Where's our highest ranked Mark Miller comic? I don't know. Uh cuz I don't have complete creator information on everything. But Let's see, Ultimates, Ultimates Volume One is at eleven sixty-five. How much can one man hate? Is it fifty-six? That comic oh. kicks ass. There you go. It's yeah. not that good. The Black Superman Black Red Sun is okay. Is at six seventy-five. Okay, that's probably Superman Red Sun is at one thousand three. So. Yeah, let's compare this to the Black Flash. What do you I think? think it's better. I think it's better. Okay. Okay. Is... I, I forgot about that Flash run. That Flash run is not bad. Lee co writes that with Morrison. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Flash run's good. <laughs> That's the, where Flash races Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. Uh, I. It's not as good as Crisis Times 5. I'm just scrolling scrolling around the list seeing what catches my eye. It's... Where's Crisis Times 5? Uh, Crisis Times 5 is at, I think, 5... Uh, 568. Alright, let's go back down to the 600s. Okay. Because... Is this better than, like... DC the New Frontier? I don't think so. Daredevil the Man Without Fear is Frank Miller and John Romita Jr. doing what is this like what would be a Daredevil movie? It is Daredevil the movie. Sure. Yes. I don't think the Wolverine Enemy of the State is that good, 
but I think it's about as good. What number is that? That's a 627. I All right, I think we're coming down a little bit. Because I don't think this is as good as... So we said it's better than the Black Flash, right? Yeah. I don't think it's as good as the New Frontier, which is at 657. I don't think it's as good as the painting that ate Paris, which is at 658. It's probably better than 1992's Topps Comics, Roy Thomas, and Mike Mignola's Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. So, this will be the new number 659. Are we in agreement on that? I, I think we can agree on that, yeah. Yes, Wolverine, Enemy of the State, is the new number 659, and that is Volume 3, Issues 20 through 25. Okay. We can try to knock out the next one, but I think we're going to have to finish Gregory's list next time, because we are coming up on two hours. Um. But uh, Wolverine Blood Debt, which is Volume 2, Issues 150 to 153 by Steve Scrooge, is the next one on Gregory's list. Is it Scroochy? It's Scroochy. I've said said Scrooge my whole life. Steve, I'm sorry. Scroochy. Like Croachy. Yeah. I'm almost, like... I'm ninety percent positive. Okay, I I I believe it. I believe you. Um. So that is volume two, issues one fifty to one fifty three. I have not read this. I this was part of Revolution. I remember this cover like vividly, vividly. But uh, I feel like I read this story. This is Wolverine going back to Japan and searching for Mariko and fighting Silver Samurai. But what is, what is this? I, 150 to 153. Uh, but I do not remember enough about this story to rank it in any reasonable way. I mean, it looks pretty good. Yeah, it looks pretty good. I, I, I just, I have some memory of it, but I, I would not feel right ranking it because I, I could not tell you exact details of what happens in the story. Um. So, we'll move on to the next one. Which is Wolverine Get Mystique, Volume 3, Numbers 62 through 65, by Jason Aaron and Ron Garney. I'm almost certain I've read this, because I think I've read the entire Jason Aaron run, but I do not remember it. Let me see if I can jog your memory here. I'm trying to dig up... Oh, this is early... Jason Aaron. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's part of the... It's like the very end of the Mean Man run. 
Yeah, I have not read this. This might be like some of Jason Aaron's first Marvel work. I mean, it's what is 2008? Yeah, this is this is early early Jason Aaron. Uh it is definitely um Wolverine going into a mosque and fighting people in a mosque. Ooh, boy. I mean, and then the mosque exploding. I would I would like to put a little more trust in Jason Aaron than that. I'm sure maybe he had a reason. Boy, Mystique is full nude throughout most of this. Well, it was not so long after the... Uh, it was eight years after <laughs> the movie. Well, I, I mean, those, those movies were still, get, still being made at this point. I guess. Where she was basically naked all the time. Yeah, man. I don't know. I have not read this. I'll, I'll tell you that for free. Yeah, I think I would have remembered... Um, the story where Mystique blows up a mosque, uh, which absolutely does happen in this. Hey, it's pretty funny to refer to this as the mean man run. <laughs> it starts with the mean man. It it doesn't. Yeah, it's not the mean, mean man. man. Yeah, the mean man. Yeah. Everything that came after mean man is is this run. Post mean man. PMM. <laughs> That's right. There's pre-mean man and there's post-mean man. When you're talking about Wolverine, you gotta say, hey, are you talking about Logan? Are you talking about Weapon X? Are you talking about the mean man? Right. Th- these are the, the most famous versions of Wolverine that yeah. everyone knows. Yellow costume, yeah, I- brown costume, mean man costume. She's <laughs> wearing a hat in the mean in the bean med costume. I I would be I would be certain that this this is perhaps the earliest Jason Aaron Marvel work. It would almost have to be cuz I thought that oh. his kind of breakout thing was uh oh what was the name of the 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 comic that was like the, the vertigo book that was like the crime book set on the reservation. Uh, scalped scalped. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. He did a vertigo book called the other side in 2006. Then scalped started in 2007. Uh, and he had a couple of Wolverine stories before this one, but it was very early. It was very early. No. And now that dude's written like 70 issues of Avengers. And many other things, yeah. Yeah. Um, Had a hell of a run on Ghost Rider. I remember Ghost Rider being like the breakout book at Marvel. I I did not realize he had written Wolverine before that. Well, it's only this story and then a handful of like one-offs before mm. that. 
Um, and look, it might be better than just the story where Mystique blows up a mosque, but boy, that sure happens right at the beginning. Um, so I don't know. I do not know. Um, we have a couple of, we have one backup from Gregory, but we don't have time to get to it. What is it? Uh, but we'll, we'll take that next time. It's the, uh, Barry Windsor Smith weapon X story from Marvel comics presents. Yeah. It's pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We'll get to that next time. Um, but, uh, thank you to the folks who sent in lists for this episode. If you would like to send us an every story ever list, you can do it at our email address, which is warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also send us other stuff at that email address. Uh, if you want to drop us a line, ask us a listener question, or let us know if you want to sponsor the show. You can do all that stuff there. We also are on Twitter at WarRocketPod. We're on Tumblr at WarRocketPodcast.tumblr.com. And we have a Discord. If you would like to join our Discord, please ask us for an invitation in one of those places I just mentioned, and we'll get you one. These specials and everything we do at Clytus Media is made possible by your support on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash warrocketajax and kick in as little as $1 a month to make sure that we keep doing these two-hour specials every month, that we do the weekly War Rocket Ajax show, that we do movie fighters and snack situation, that we do comics catch-up. All that stuff is made possible by your Patreon support. And as a Patreon supporter, you get all of those shows that I just mentioned ad-free as well as other cool rewards. So go check that out, patreon.com slash warrocketajax. If you want to find me and my stuff, go to mattdwilson.net. It's where you can find links to my books, my comics, my other podcasts, and my social medias. Chris, where can people find you? Matt, they can find me on the War Rocket Ajax podcast. <laughs> That's true. They can. That's it. That's a, Listen. Y'all know where to find me. Listen weekly. I would say listen weekly uh, to War Rocket Ajax. It's a fun show. We'll be back in May, starting with Barry Windsor Smith Weapon X. We're so that's little be... helmet. I had that action figure, man. I'm going to talk about it oh, next yeah. time. I, I'm not going to remember to talk about it next time, but I am going to be talking about that action figure next time. I'll guarantee it. Well, it's Weapon X is one of the many versions of Wolverine, along with Mean Man. Along with the Mean Man, yeah. There's there's Lucky Jim, the Mean Man, Weapon X, right. And Weapon 10. Yeah. Exactly. See you next time, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye, everybody. Forever, 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 ever, forever, ever. Yeah! From this day on, as every breed of mongrel lived together.